Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. I I apologize for my uh, tardiness. We're having the mysterious case of the missing radical forgiveness book in my home, and uh, <laughs> took me a second to pull it together so I could finally accept that I'm going to have to not have my copy in class today. Which, um, you know. You got to go with, you got to, you got to work with what's in front of you, right? Well, it's good to be connected with everybody. And I believe everyone's on the call except for Magali, but just, uh, and she'll be calling in later, but just uh, so we can take roll real quick. Kathy? Yeah. Hi, Jesse. I'm here. Hi, great to hear your voice, Kathy. Thank you. And um, Hector. Hi, I'm here. Hello, Francisco. Hi. Hello, Bruce. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. Steven. I'm here and I'm in my car, so I'm probably going to be very quiet. (laughs) Okay. And uh, Magali is in. Um, do you guys know where Magali is? I think it's actually pretty cool. She's um, uh, at at a school where they train her to work with a seeing eye dog. So she's uh, learning um, how to do that, which I think is really neat. And so there's a whole um, training program that you go through. And uh, in order to to have that service, so it's kind of cool. I'm really um, find it rather compelling. And so I've been checking up on her. She's having a really good time. But she'll uh, she said she'll probably call in around eight o'clock because she has a class. So we'll just send her our love. All right. So <clears throat> let's just create that space with one another by taking a few deep breaths in and out. And we're going to spend three minutes in silence. I'm going to invite everyone except Stephen to participate. So sitting with your spine erect, we'll take a few deep breaths, and then we allow our imaginations to work with us as we invite waves of bright white light, bright white light to flow in from the top of our head down to our toes and to expand into our auric field. And after you do that, take a few deep breaths as you observe the light entering, filling the lungs, transforming into an out breath and going out as light. So you're just having an experience of connecting with the light. And then when you spend about 30 seconds to a minute there, just gently observe 
a golden glow coming from your heart center. So golden light, a gentle golden light in the heart center. And there's nothing you have to do with it other than observe it. Okay? I'll spend three minutes just in this practice of soaking in the bright white light, observing the golden light, and allowing our full attention to be there. So, Stephen, I'm going to invite you during this time. You can also invite the white light and just allow your practice to be um, one of, of mindfulness. So you're just completely present as you drive. So feel the... the um, Your nearest function you took away from it. Sorry? Sorry, Hector? No, nothing. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, so as you're driving, just be completely present. Feel the steering wheel in your hands. Feel your, uh, how it feels to be sitting in the chair, the gas. You know, just be completely present for three minutes. So I'm going to set the clock, and let's all together just take a deep breath in and out, closing our eyes. And I'll set the timer here and begin.
and taking a deep breath in, truly a breath of gratitude, so grateful, so thankful for the opportunity to just align with perfect love. So we offer up anything that might be a block to the awareness of love's eternal presence. We lean into love. We allow it to come forth, to express, to shine. We're grateful to do so. Knowing that God is so expansive, so creative, so beautiful. taking a moment just to appreciate that, to remember that those qualities, those attributes are within us and we allow them to come forth now. Ooh, so good, so good. And with an open heart, we share all the healing benefits of our time together to all sentient beings. Keeping in mind specifically the Inspire Spiritual Community all of the wonderful souls that have come together and continue to come to express this beautiful vision of what is possible when we lead with love. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. All right. So let's take a moment just to check in with one another. Um, I'd like to start with those who were not on the call last week, and I just want to take a moment to uh, apologize again for the scheduling uh, mix-up. It was my bad. I admit that I, uh, in preparing for Venerable's visit and all the other things that were going on, I um, didn't realize that Jacob Glass was scheduled at the same time that we were supposed to get together in person, so we'll reschedule that, and um, but we still have a lovely call, Bruce Magali and I, and um, it's always a pleasure to you know whenever two or more gather together. So we were <laughs> the three, <laughs> but I'd like to uh, hear from you all who who haven't been able to share at the group level about your experience with Venerable, and just to see if uh, there were any takeaways that you'd like to share or anything that. Um, stuck with you or any awareness that began to blossom as a result of your time with Venerable. So why don't we start with Hector? Hi. Hello. I can. I, I really love Venerable. I think that she has such a commanding presence in a very gentle but powerful way at the same time. Uh, I was a little bit intimidated by her. Like, I, I want her to feel, I don't know, I had this idea that she could read my thoughts. Um, so I was a little bit intimidated, but I love her presence. I love her message. I love how gentle she is and how much emphasis she places in um uh, in rituals. So I really love the dance that she showed me, and I Googled that, and I saw that in YouTube, and I've been doing that a little bit, and I really, really like that. So 
it was an honor to be in front of her, and I hope that she comes back soon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, she's she's something. <laughs> she is something, yeah. Uh, the dance of the directions is really, really powerful. Um, during her summer teachings, you know, it's not uncommon for them to start every session with the dance of the directions. She says it's uh, acupuncture for the earth. And sometimes they'll do it for quite a long time. Uh, and it really helps everyone get aligned and energized. So very cool. Very nice share. Thank you. Uh, Francisco. Sorry, it took me a while to get you off the mute. Um, I, that was my second time going to see her. Um, and going with Hector said, she's very calm, very gentle, very uh, simple with her words. Um, that was one thing I really took away with the simplicity of her messages. Um, I have a, a tendency to make things very complex and wordy. Um, and she is very good at simplifying. Um, and a big takeaway I had was um, telling the elders um, what lessons that you've learned from them or sharing with them the wisdom that you've received from them. Um, and that's one thing I have felt compelled to do in the last week or two, um, especially for the holidays, was to write down my thoughts of, and share with the elders, elders in my life, um, the wisdom and that I've received from them over the years. Um, so it was very connected also. Is that why you sent me that email? Because I'm not your elder. <laughs> I find that a little little insulting. Well, I mean you can. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're over 35, Jesse, I really hold you as my elder. Um, <laughs> So it is the backhanded uh, spiritual compliment. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, beautiful. It was more, it was more of, of my grandparents, um, mm-hmm. teachers that um, are are much older. I'm I'm talking like in their 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's really valuable to. Uh, I really encourage everyone to um, cultivate relationships with elders in the community. I. Uh, I get a lot out of um, my time I spend with elders. I I usually have lunch with an elder at least once a month. And, um, you know, uh, so often my experience is they just, they just bring it down a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, like you were saying, like how simple, how simple she made things and how complicated we tend to make things. It, it, it so often is just a, you know, in a very loving way to like, you know, chill out. <laughs> this too shall pass. And here's what you can do to make it, you know, a peaceful experience for yourself. So very cool. Thank you for sharing, Francisco. Uh, Stephen, would you like to share? Sure. Um, I too really enjoyed the, the, the dance. Uh, and what really struck me the most, and first of all, I want to apologize if you hear a lot of noise in the background. I don't know what that is. 
other people have told me they hear noise when I'm in the car. But um, I, I, what really, really came to the forefront for me in terms of my consciousness and what I've, I have, uh, it's been very present for me in the in the dance. It's her way of of explaining how before cutting through to going forward is going back. And her talking about, you know, releasing the past, yet it's still part of your history. And so you go back to go forward. And that to me was such a powerful, powerful thing that I have uh, not been practicing (laughs) the stations, but just that alone. And for me, I think it's brought not just an awareness of me, of those things that I, 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 need, I, I want to and need to release, but it's, um, it's, it's really moved me forward, I think, and it's, it's been very powerful this last week. That's a goodie. That's a good and for sure. Beautiful. Very cool. Very good. And Kathy, I know that you were streaming it. You had some connection difficulties, but if there's something you'd like to share, please. We're all ears. Um, can I confirm what Stephen said? Stephen, did you say something about you have to look back at your past before you can move forward? Is that what you said? Right. And what did she mean by that? Can you elaborate on that? She was talking about releasing those things in the past. Not that, that you know they don't go away. So we we look back to, in order to move forward by releasing those things in the past. It's still part of our history. Yeah, I mean, was she talking like you do it in a meditative way, or you do it like you know solo, or do you do it with a guide, like a counselor? Did she elaborate on that? This was part of the dance uh, ritual. I, I think it's the dance, the stations. Am I am I correct? Some Jesse, somebody. Yeah, she she talks uh, about it's a Cherokee, yeah, practice. And a lot of that too is about harvesting the wisdom from the ancestors, bringing the past with us in that capacity, oh, and okay. releasing releasing the trauma and releasing also the conditioning that doesn't serve. And so did you guys do the dance of the directions or just watch a video of it or No, she she demonstrated it. Oh, she did. Uh-huh. Oh. So as far as my experience with it, um it was pretty much non-existent. I was having trouble with the feed. I couldn't get on right away. I was texting you and then um some soul tried to help me. I can't remember the the name of the person. But it was very wiry, and it was quite difficult to understand. There were pauses where nothing was happening. And frankly, I lost interest. I I was too impatient to deal with it because I I was catching so little of it that it wasn't making any sense or it didn't feel like it was of benefit, you know, which was sad because, you you know, she's awesome, Um, you know, because I had exposure with her monthly with Jennifer and Natural Living, and, and I love her. Um, and you guys are all so very blessed that you got to be with her in person. And I could, I could Hector, I can sort of see how she maybe has some, some intimidation factor, <laughs> you know, because she's such an enlightened being, you know. 
Um, I hope to get out to Vermont um, some summer. I don't know how early you need to book something like that. Is that something you need to book now for next year? Or Oh, no, no. I think I don't even know if it's up for registration yet because uh... – you know, uh, you know, she's getting older, so I don't know if they're even if she's doing it every year now. I'm sure she will, but um, it's uh, it, it's not like a you have to hop on. It's not going to sell out immediately, and they'll okay. they'll make space. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering, did she use any notes, or was the whole thing just sort of uh, Holy Spirit inspired? Oh yeah, I've never I've never really known her to use notes unless she's unless she's talking about a specific teaching, like a specific uh, she's making a specific reference to something. But she, uh-huh. um, you know, it very much feels like um, an elders meeting with the venerable, and uh, she just shares. You know, she just opens up and she just lets it flow. I think she definitely. She spends time connecting with the community before she speaks, and then she gets inspired about what she'd like to speak on, and then she just flows from there. Yeah. So is that kind of what you meant, Hector, where it felt like she was reading your mind or something? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's definitely uh, these moments. She has these moments where, like, if you're talking, if you're asking a question, she'll just look at you. And you feel like the answer is in the look. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like she's like, like she's sending you love or something in the look, or yeah, something something like that. Like she's answering you almost in the invisible, and uh, it's 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 an interesting experience. <laughs> well, so. from what I experienced, you know, on the calls, you know, so many years ago, three years ago. You know, it's it, it. She was so fluid with her speaking, and she she obviously was present because it just seemed like she was reading something. Her, she, there was an elegance, there was a simplicity, like um, has already been said. And but there was, I mean, she does, speaks with a lot of metaphors. You know, talking about the canoe on the water and the stream of life. And, you know, did she do a lot of that? Yeah, there's some of that. I mean, it's definitely venerable. So that's why I say, again, it feels, it often feels, it feels much like a, um, you know, you're sitting with an elder because she does sort of speak like that, you know, and, um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was pure venerable. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm complete. Cool. Uh, Bruce, is there anything that you'd like to add to, uh, to the group discussion? No, um, you know, everybody sort of covered it. The one sort of enduring image that I've had is she's stopped at, at a certain point. She's got a big smile, and she just go like, joy, 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 and clap her hands. And I, I've just had that as like a recurring image the last couple of weeks, you know, especially when things have been, you know, uh, a little more difficult. I just try and remember, joy, joy, joy. <laughs> That's it. That's the secret. Gotcha. All right. Okay, everyone. What is, did you say something about the community? Oh, uh, Rever- uh, she did, actually. Uh, we had dinner 
uh, following, and she said that, and I actually took this as a real compliment, she said that uh, um, we have, uh, uh, that she, she spoke specifically about practitioners and ministers, and she says that the level of listening is so deep that, uh, and she said it, she attributes it to the programs that we're creating. And she said, she, in her words, said that we're giving good medicine here. And she was really impressed. Uh, she was really um, impressed with the, she said it was a very advanced group. And I thought that was really uh, quite the compliment coming from her. So keep doing the, keep doing the work, guys. Um, yeah, she's just lovely. And she, you know, she talked a little bit afterwards about, she was asking me how, you know, like, how did we, what were the teachings around the election? How am I guiding people? Uh, you know, what are, what are we, you know, how are we guiding people to keep diligent in our practice of, of energizing the uh, vision, you know, a uh, vision of unity and not going into confusion and separation uh, through, you know, through judgment. And she was just checking in, making sure that we're on track with all that stuff. And But it was good. Yeah, she really loves the community. It's, it's, it's wonderful to have such an advocate. So. All right, guys. So why don't we... Uh, I'm going to invite everyone to uh, pull up your worksheets from last week. So this is uh, from week three, and it's page three. So at the bottom right-hand corner, you're looking for the page that says M3W3, page three, module three, week three, page three. And it's the week three worksheet, What is Forgiveness? So I'm just going to encourage everyone to, uh, you know, give yourself time to work with these worksheets. Um, I know that uh, some people get them and start right to work on them, but there are a few exercises that require some contemplation. And um, also, you know, throughout, sprinkled throughout are the playful practices like the ones from this last week where um uh, you wrote a re- reference letter for forgiveness. <laughs> and I loved what you guys came up with. But um, I also noticed that only three of you put them up, and I, I haven't checked in the last couple hours, so maybe more posted it. But I'd love for everyone to participate in these, uh, uh, in the practices and in the uh, homework, because I think there's a lot of benefit in doing it. Uh, we're really going deep in this conversation of forgiveness. There's so many layers to peel away. And I feel as though the worksheets, uh, you know, I really spent time on them so they would be a good guide for everyone so we could have a really uh, deep conversation about it. And so um, you don't have to turn your homework in. You don't have to send me a copy of what you're doing. What the class is going to be, and I appreciate this, uh, the organizational structure of this now is we will use the homework worksheet from the previous week as our conversation outline the following week. So like we're about to, 
look over week three's worksheet on what is forgiveness. And this is what we're going to, we're going to go through all these questions and this is going to be our topic of discussion for the rest of the first half of the class. So if you haven't done them, then you can't participate as fully as someone who's already looked it over and filled out the questions or at least taken notes on it. So these are, um, you know, if for some reason receiving them via email is a challenge, uh, Bruce suggested possibly having everyone download um, uh, Google Doc, uh, uh, Google Drive, I'm sorry, the Google Drive. And uh, so you can just have full access to them. But um, with that, it'd be a little easier to get ahead of ourselves. So I, I just, I prefer to keep it via email. There's a simple link. You get it, uh, you know, you get the worksheet for the, for the next week, the day of your class. And so it has everything that you need there. So, um, you know, I'm just encouraging everyone to utilize the resources that are available to you. And um, that's my that's my spiel. Does anyone have any questions about the worksheets? Okay. Um, you know, just to remind everyone that uh, I know some people are taking this course as a, uh, you know, just for for your own self, your own practice, but on the other side of it too, it, it is a, uh, it, it, you do get a certificate of completion or a license depending on your interest at the end of the course. So uh, as to maintain the integrity of the licensing pro process, you know, and the, um, you know, the fact that you'll be sort of representatives of Inspire, it's important that I'm, I'm uh, that we're all having the same conversation. You know, when Venerable said we have a, deep level of listening and, um, you know, a really uh, advanced group, it's as a result of these conversations. And I, I really am um, I'm proud of the, that, uh, that, that level of consciousness because this, I, it, it, it's an indication to me that we're, we're on the right path. So let's really utilize this time together because that's what we're here to do is, you know, expand our consciousness, deepen our understanding, you know, deepen our practice. All right, everyone. So let's, let's dive in. And the first question on week three worksheet on what is forgiveness is, what are some characteristics of an unforgiving thought? Please describe your answer below. So who would like to share some of the characteristics of an unforgiving thought? And this again, this is, yeah, please go. Um, I have some, some characteristics of an unforgiving thought are frantic activity, distortion of reality, twisting, uh, twisting the truth to align to our perception, and searching for evidence of guilt. Gorgeous, beautiful. So why is it a distortion of reality? Why is an unforgiving thought a distortion of reality? Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> or um, whoever would like to join. Because it's not really, it's not reality. Um, we're seeing it through a 
filter or through a perspective that is it's not really occurring um and and we need to our ego needs to align it to itself mhm yeah yeah so what's the reality let's say let's say you're holding a resentment against somebody what's the reality of that person the true reality of that person um the true reality of that person is they are a person a child of god of light um there you go. Mm-hmm. we see them when we see them differently that's our distortion yeah you hit it right on the head perfect perfect answer they're they're perfectly innocent and why are they perfectly innocent because they're an extension of god they're a child of god so that alone is proof positive of their perfect innocence and so if we're seeing them as anything other than innocent then we're we're distorting reality we're distorting reality so if you listen to last week's call you would you'll recall the conversation that Bruce and I had about this idea of what you thought your brother did to you didn't occur now if we take it to the oomph degree of mysticism then we're talking about a holographic universe in which the bodies don't actually exist so that literally never occurred however for the purposes of this conversation when somebody does something to you we personalize it we distort the meaning and then oftentimes that plants seeds of uh, a belief system that completely shifts our narrative and so you know let's say you're in fourth grade and tommy johnson pulls your pants down on the playground you know from that point on you always hold this resentment against tommy johnson thinking that he's absolutely he you know killed your self confidence he created all of this shame around your sexuality and you'll never forgive him for that but the truth is tommy johnson pulled your pants down your perception of it how you internalized it the story you told yourself about it he never did that that's what you get to forgive him for so you don't deny that he pulled your pants down that occurred but he didn't humiliate you it was your interpretation of the experience that created the sensation and the experience of humiliation so that's what we're talking about when you know first the the first thing you have to become willing to do is realize that what you thought your brother did to you didn't occur and it's in the um alignment with this so why you said it has a frantic energy why is there a frantic energy around an unforgiving thought sorry i had drawn me um why there is frantic energy around an unforgiving thought uh-huh um I think it is because our, our ego wants to force us to make the situation to something that it's not. And 
when we are at peace and we are still, we can let things settle. Um, but when we are frantic, everything is moving around, and that's what our ego craves. Our ego craves that kind of chaos. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's another thought, too, Francisco, to add to that is, is since it is a distortion of reality, it's constantly having to gather evidence to prove that misperception correct. So it's constantly gathering evidence. Like <laughs> I just saw the movie Miss Sloan, and it's a movie about a, a, a lobbyist in Washington, D.C., and she's like, this genius lobbyist, but she has these uh, people that work for her and they're constantly moving, constantly going. They're constantly researching, constantly finding things. And it's like, oh, that's like an unforgiving thought. It's like a, an intern or someone that works for a, a political lobbyist, like always on the move, always going, going, going. It's like Anne Hathaway in Devil Wears product, you know? Um, so, and it's always having to gather proof. It's always having to like, uh, revisit the wound, revisit the story, prove yourself accurate. You should hold on to this resentment. You are right. And so often it just comes down to that idea. We, Bruce and I talked about this last week. It re, so often it comes down to do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? So if those are the characteristics of an unforgiving thought, and anyone is, can feel free to answer this, what are the characteristics of a forgiving thought? What's a forgiving Mind. What are some qualities of a forgiving mind? Absence of judgment, calmness, mm -hmm. uh, connectedness. Uh-huh. And if an unforgiving thought is frantic, what does that mean a, a forgiving thought is? Peaceful. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Yep. Yep. It does nothing. It's simply present. <laughs> she made the job just made the job referral a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it will it won't do much, but it will completely change the culture. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna see a lot of activity, but <laughs> <laughs> but productivity through the roof, right? Through the roof. Yeah. yeah so, um, so I mean, has has anyone ever had the experience of just like you just hated someone, you resented them, and you hated them, and you resented them, and you finally reached a point where you're like, just like, I just can't hate this person anymore. It's just too exhausting. Like, I'm too tired to continue to hate this person. I'm just going to give up. Anyone? <laughs> it's, it's exhausting yeah. because, yeah. you know, well, think about it. You know, it's exhausting because a forgiving thought is constantly going. It takes a lot of energy to hold on to a resentment. I had a big experience with that last year. Somebody who, in theory, anonymously, but I knew who it was, made a bunch of false accusations. Yeah, work. no, I, I, listen, I worked hard. Uh, I, I, I worked hard. To... Um, so 
I had a lot of stuff around this person, and then and it was really it was literally exhausting. I was literally exhausted, and and at a certain point, it's just like I just can't hate her anymore. So, uh-huh. even though lots of things were happening in an outer world sense that were really difficult, you know, to deal with, and eventually all resolved the way it was supposed to, which is like yeah, whatever she's saying is completely baseless, so don't worry about it. But in the middle of it, it was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And it was a much calmer energy once I decided, like, you know, she was doing what she felt was right and was doing the best she could. And, you know, what she thought had happened that, you know, uh, it was sort of both ways. I, I kind of first had to say, you know, I knew that what she thought I was doing I wasn't doing it. It was her filters. And then uh, I had to turn it on myself and say, what I'm thinking she's doing isn't really what she's doing. It's just my filters. Talk about this, Bruce, the idea that how is all forgiveness self-forgiveness? And everyone is free to join in this conversation. How is... All forgiveness is self-forgiveness. What does that mean? Well, so so if if all if being unforgiving is is rejection, basically to, to use the word that we use a lot, uh, pretty well, um, then then if I judging someone else, what I'm seeing is a reflection. Outer world is reflecting inner reality. And so the person is just mirroring what's going on inside of me. So I didn't need to, to uh, you know, by forgiving her, I was really, for, you know, it was, I was distorting and projecting what was happening in outer world reality. And what I'm really forgiving are the parts inside of me that were triggered and the parts of me that hurt and the parts of me that were out of alignment. So the forgiving, if it never really happened, if what brother did never really occurred, but I'm seeing it differently and I'm forgiving it, then I'm really forgiving what's going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. You know, sometimes you got to just roll with it and then it, it, when you get to the end, it all ties together beautifully. There you go. I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll see that self-forgiveness. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so who else would like to share about that? Like, all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. Last week we talked about guilt and how we, uh, you know, the purpose of uh, finding guilt in others. Why do we find guilt in others? I mean, the, the, the Course in Miracles uh, talks that there are really only two emotions love and fear. So guilt is, is a form of fear, and it, the purpose of it is to reinforce the idea on someone else that something wrong has happened because we can deal with our own belief in error or sin, which is not true to begin with. So therefore, we project that to someone else in the form of guilt and judgment. Um, so when we energize forgiveness, 
what we're able to do is to see the face of God in my brother or sister, and I'm able to experience oneness. If I'm not doing forgiveness, then I'm gonna be I'm gonna be staying in the dream, uh, and therefore, which is not what we want. Exactly. I mean, spot on. Yeah, we we see guilt in others because we don't want to address the guilt in ourselves, the the guilt we're carrying on. And so, this idea of you know forgiving what we thought our brother did to us didn't actually occur. That's what we're talking about here. So we're upset. We're afraid. We're in fear and all the, you know, the different attributes of fear. We're experiencing that and we want to know who is to blame for this. Who is to blame for my upset? It can't be me. So who else is to blame for my upset? So it's it's and, go go ahead. Can I add another thing there? And of this course. is where, even though I wasn't um, that crazy about Byron Katie, this is where I think that her work is very helpful, because you know if you think about guilt as a behavior that we judge to be wrong, but we know that guilt is not possible, uh, then when we're able to have that false expose and question that then the experience of guilt and judgment is impossible uh, and I it just occurred to me that that's actually a very helpful framework to expose guilt to expose to expose the, the nothingness in guilt yep Beautiful, really beautifully put. Kathy, is there anything you'd like to add? Oh, I thought I thought what um, they both shared was was really beautiful and spot on. Um, you know that what i've what I've heard about the course of miracles is that you know we think we sinned in the past by this idea that we separated from God, which of course is impossible because we're one with God, um, thoughts never leave their source, and we're an idea in the mind of God, and as you said, the physical world is an illusion uh like a hologram, a projection we're actually, according to the course, still just in the arms of love um in our soupy oneness with God. And so we think we've sinned, so we feel guilty in the now, and we want to project it, and we want it anywhere but on ourselves, so we put it on our brother. And it's important to note from what I've learned from The Course of Miracles, it's not just for sentient beings that we project our guilt onto cars and coffee tables and anything and everything. Like when your car breaks down, you know, you curse and attack your car, like something's wrong with your car. You you know, you blame your car or your mechanic or you you hit the coffee table because you're rushing and you don't navigate navigate around it properly 
and you blame the table, you stupid table. And we'll, we'll just use anything other than ourselves because um, it's, it's just so painful to be in that place of guilt. And then future is always about fear because it's the, the, the unholy trinity is sin, guilt, fear in Course in Miracles. And so it's that sort of timeline that's taking place, sin in the past, guilt in the present, fear of the future, that God is going to come after us because we supposedly did away with God with this separation and we forgot to laugh. <laughs> the, son of, the Son of God forgot to laugh, right? Isn't that how it goes? Uh-huh. Yep. So. Yeah. I was... Um... Uh, you know, I do a a morning like Course in Miracles, not talk show thing. It's sort of an online chat radio show thing. I don't know. It's just sort of a hybrid, new hybrid of something. But on Tuesday mornings, I do that. And um, and this week, we the conversation was all about dream roles. So the roles that we assign people in our dreams and how this is oftentimes the birthplace of resentment because people aren't fulfilling our fantasy roles we place them in that they never asked to be placed in, you know? So, you know, the perfect husband isn't being a perfect husband. The uh, compassionate mother is not being a compassionate mother. The mother is not being a nurturer. The, you know, the president is not being, uh, not leading with integrity the, you know, the body is not losing its weight, you know, is not acting in a certain way. And so it's all this idea of projecting guilt, projecting guilt, projecting guilt, looking for, you know, and also deflecting responsibility for our own peace of mind through self-awareness. It's a beautiful thing, but all of these conversations, you know, they're all, they're all, threads in the tapestry, you know, and what I love about it is you start talking about one thing and it leads you to, it all sort of comes back to the same conversation and it is, we forgot to laugh, you know, we, we think, we just really think that we're separate from God. (laughs) It never happened. So, Fear doesn't exist. It's it's only in our in our misperception does fear exist. Wild, but how grateful are you to for these conversations to just reaffirm that, remind ourselves that, check in. You know, it's it can it's easy to forget sometimes when you're out playing in the world. So I'm grateful for these calls and these opportunities to connect with each other and remind ourselves, lift each other up. So through our conversation, we talked about number three. We talked about how an unforgiving thought distorts reality. And uh, okay, so this is a great one. And um, uh, whoever would like to talk about this, please do. And this is about a this is about forgiveness. So number four in our worksheet said, please explain this phrase about forgiveness. It does not deny what it sees, but it puts no interpretation on it. It waits to be told the meaning by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean exactly? 
it's not judging it, then how is it not denying what it sees? It doesn't deny what it sees um, because then you would make it real. And once you make it real, then it'll occur to you as real and then you'll react out of the ego with it. But you wait for the Holy Spirit. You give it to the Holy Spirit, which is being able to see our brother, not as the body, the skin, the personality, the ego, but as just love and innocence and yeah. So it can observe what is unfolding in the illusion, okay? So it can observe, okay, so like what's an example we can pull from of something that we judged as, that we went instantly into judging as bad. So, okay, the election is a perfect example, all right? So Donald Trump gets elected president after a campaign in which he, uh, you know, didn't deny any of the hate groups that were supporting him. He evoked, seemed to evoke, appeared to evoke um, hatred and fear and anger and all that stuff or held the container to allow people to express that. Uh, And he gets elected president. Now, initially, my very, my instinct was not to just do nothing and observe. (laughs) I went into judgment. And I had to do work around that so, so I could release it. So can, would somebody walk us through how you can apply this teaching to this situation of Donald Trump gets elected president? Yeah, I can speak about, uh, because for me it was a big, big problem, and I was definitely in separation the day after that. And I just realized that I had all this, anger at people that voted for Trump. And it was anger that I felt was uh, contained in truth. And I just couldn't understand why people were doing that. And and I was experiencing uh, definitely separation. Uh, my heart was tightening. Uh, uh, I was very angry for a long time. And then there was this moment of awareness, uh, and it, it just happens, always happens in a second, where I felt that in reality below the surface, the anger about Trump winning the election was really hiding in me things that I didn't want to experience. Like, I, I, I didn't want to experience what discrimination looks like. I didn't want to experience what uh, misogyny looks like. I didn't want to experience all these things that all these faces are bringing to the awareness of people, and I kept pushing down. 
And because I was pushing down those energies so much, of course, what comes to the surface is anger. And when I was able to forgive, and that became a forgiveness tool for me because no longer I feel anything about Trump being elected. If anything, I'm grateful that he's being the face of all of these things that were before he then in my subconscious. Beautiful. So how would a forgiving thought or forgiving mind walk through the experience of the election? So we're talking about not denying what it sees, but not putting an interpretation on it, waiting for the meaning to by the Holy Spirit. So let's say you are the full embodiment of an unforgiving thought. How would you have, how would the experience have been different? I think the moment that I saw the anger coming, and I think that we also have, I mean, a lot of times I feel that we as spiritual students have this idea that we're going to become um, saints. And, and we have to realize that as long as we are humans and we have a body and a flesh, we will experience feelings, right? The brain is designed to do that. So I, I think that what I should have done, and I, I finally corrected it, so it took me a day and it's fine, is the moment that I, I start experiencing the anger arise and the moment that I go into judgment thinking that the outcome should have been any different, I need to really go deep inside and ask for what purpose. What What is this bringing to the surface? And the moment that you see that, it's, it's just, it was so miraculous because all the anger vanished, like in a second. The moment that I saw that I was not willing to experience uh, those negative thoughts of separation, uh, that became my forgiveness. And that's the meaning that was given to me by the Holy Spirit. Is anybody else there? I'm sorry. I was responding to you on mute, and it was really good stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, acceptance that I was on mute. So, yeah, what you said was beautiful, Hector, totally beautiful. And uh, I love it. Really, what a great teaching and great example. And what I was sharing on mute is that the unforgiving mind would just observe. You know, it, it would observe and wait for the Holy Spirit to guide. And uh, Hector was able to, I mean, and listen, I think turning it around the next day is profound and beautiful. Um, uh, but we say a lot, you know, in, these, in this course, you know, our greatest good is always unfolding. And so to be able to trust that when something is unfolding that doesn't seem like what it is that we want, uh, it's, 
that's our work, you know, and we stay present with the feelings that arise. We stay curious enough to continue to do inquiry so that we can have an awareness like Hector had. You know, if we aren't willing to be curious, if we aren't willing to um, go into inquiry with the feelings that are arising, then we'll stay with them. You know, it's the unquestioning mind that stays in resentment. And so I really appreciate your process that you shared, Hector. And um, it's really, you know, this is, this is what we aspire to embody is that place of non-judgment, of observing, and then taking the next indicated step as shown to us through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, yeah, you know, if we're in these bodies, we're having a human experience. And like Hector said, you know, we, we have things that arise. And I think the most masterful teachers observe that. They observe the feelings. They observe the thoughts, and they don't necessarily allow them to take over. They don't give dominion to them, but they observe them. And the process that we're doing here, this process of forgiveness, supports us in doing the same thing. First, we now, we now have the awareness. We have the awareness of what a forgiving mind is. We know the attributes. And so we are aware when we are not in alignment with that. And so we can make the adjustments necessary to align with that. And this is the process of forgiveness, of awakening, of releasing our attachment. It's beautiful. So Thank you so much. Oh, this last one is so good. We do need to get to the in-class reading because there's quite a lot. But uh, the last question of this, I would love to hear someone's response to number five. In your own words, please explain the phrase, what we reflect to the world is what we believe in for ourselves. What a beautiful, profound statement. Um, Who would like to share what they, what they wrote for that? I would just say that to me that sounds very simply like projection makes perception. Can you explain that? Well, Hector already did quite well that whatever we think turns into, you know, feelings and, and of course beliefs and then we project that out onto others so then what we see, you know, with the physical eyes is that scavenger dog. The course talks about looking for evidence of guilt and then we'll go around saying, see, see, do you see he's doing that or she's doing that or they're to blame and we're just placing and extending that guilt out because we don't want it ourselves, say. And it's it's really just our own inner world and experience. Was it Bruce who was saying that? is being shown to us on the outside in the hologram, you know. So the inner is creating the outer or projection makes perception. What we see on the outside is really our own stuff, um, but we're disowning it. We're disassociating it. We're not taking responsibility for it. And so we are, until we choose to. And like you said, that usually comes from our willingness or curiosity 
bringing doubt to it. And it takes the awareness to do that, to be able to observe and see. And, of course, if we can do it without the judgment, then we're not adding in that double-edged sword, you know, where we're hurting ourselves once by the recognition of, ooh, ow, I did that. Ooh, ow, that's really me. And then, like, feeling guilty on top of it, you know, double-edged sword. You know, Kathy, your your students in Arizona are fortunate to have you. That was a really beautiful, very clear teaching, and I think one that's very helpful. And I know that you, um, I know you just totally are demonstrating these principles as your life. So I just want to acknowledge that for you. Like, uh, that was really lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yes, you know, I, I will say that I've observed online uh, my Facebook feeds how many people have the story in their mind that the next four years are going to be very hard for gay people. And they have gone to town finding every shred of evidence to prove that narrative right, to prove that fear right. And as of yet, nothing has happened. And yet, there's more and more proof every day that this is going to be awful. It's going to be hard. You know, we've got to prepare ourselves. We've got to fight. There's going to be a fight. Fight's not over. Get ready to fight even harder. And I just seen like the collective hysteria cultivating into upset and fear. And, you know, people are driving themselves crazy through their own fear fantasy. And obviously, yes, this is trauma from the past coming to the surface, but it's coming to the surface to be healed. So, without talking about what the answer is, but something to contemplate in each and every one of our lives, how can we be part of an emerging vision? How can we be part of the loving solution instead of feeding into social hysteria? What could we do? So contemplate that on your break, and we're going to just take a short break. We're going to take a three-minute break today just to Refill your water or tea and use the restroom. Uh, it's 8.08, so we'll see you back here at 8.11, and we're going to get into the reading. So make sure you have your copy of Radical Forgiveness. All right. Till then.
Okay, so we are back. Uh, any Anything that anyone would like to add to the conversation we just had about forgiveness? Any insights, thoughts that came up that you'd like to share? I would just like to share about um, my narrative about Trump. Now, of course, I'm not um, the LGBTQ population, you know, um, so I maybe have a different take, but all along, the Holy Spirit sort of pointed out to me that, you know, Trump is has been elected president, and so this is obviously what's meant to be for this part of our evolution. And I think, like I said, people, I think he's going to be a pivotal person. Like, he really took on the role of he's going to help the world wake up quicker than if somebody who had a higher consciousness would because it's just so obvious um, what people are going to see, the deceit, the lies, the arrogance, the ego, in other words. And I think in in the four years he's president, unless he's impeached, <laughs> then um, I think it's really going to help the help everybody, particularly the gay community. I think it's going to help us learn to forgive, learn to see the innocence. I think, I think really he, he's going to be a good thing for not just um, the state, but the world. Because we've got, he's under the spotlight, you know. And so I think it's going to help with a greater awakening. And Can I, here, here, sister, can I add a thought to that? Yeah. Because I think, Kathy, what you're saying is so powerful. To me, like, when it was happening, again, I saw that as a negative thing, but but now looking backwards, I, I actually think that it is an expression of the awakening that we are doing as the collective I, I feel that somehow we are all adverse to the idea of suffering. Uh, and what we forget is that every experience that we have is for the purpose of awakening. And I think that if we are where we are right now, what we have to be very mindful and keep remembering is that any time that we're going to see this discrimination, bullying, blah, 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 blah. That is our opportunity to choose love because it is all those ideas, all those false ideas coming up to the surface for the purpose of healing and it's really up to us what we do with that. So I think it's going to be powerful, but I think it puts uh, so much responsibility in us as practitioners and the people that are actually going in the path to be mindful and aware of everything. Yep. <laughs> and again, I'm just going to say how grateful I am for these uh, platforms, these groups that we're having these conversations because we are, we're just strengthening with each one of these conversations. We're strengthening our awareness. You know, we are, we are placing more attention onto the potential of what is unfolding, which is loving. So we are committed to the most loving expression 
to, to come forth. And we're placing our attention on that. And so we make it stronger and more powerful and more palpable with every one of these conversations. And we're supporting each other. We're creating support systems in the visible and invisible. And I just was really grateful to be part of this and have such mighty companions on the path. So thank you all for doing this work. Uh, you know, being a practitioner. A practitioner is a consciousness. And it's a consciousness, consciousness that you all are cultivating and expanding with each uh, each week. It's beautiful to see and participate in it. So thank you. And thank you for supporting me in my own expansion. Let's dive into our reading. So we're going to read Chapter 2. We're going to see how, much we, how far we can get through Chapter 2 together. And again, I'm having... A particular time with the Radical Forgiveness book, it just keeps disappearing. I had it in my hand yesterday, and now it's nowhere in the house. And So I'm going to be an active listener as you guys read. Um, and we're going to go over the underlining assumptions, because we're going to start diving into the uh, actual Radical Forgiveness, the pages of Radical Forgiveness. We did Jill's story, and now we're going to get into the text a bit more after we did that article, that great article. Uh, commentary on what is forgiveness. So, uh, Stephen, are you still in the call? Are you still in the car? I actually just uh, walked in at home and pulled out my book and sat down, put on my glasses. Oh, whoa! All right, I'm present. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Um, and let me just see, um, Magali, are you on the call? in our class. Okay. Okay, so here's going to be the, the reading order. Uh, it's going to go Kathy, Hector, Francisco, Bruce, and then Stephen. So Kathy, Hector, Francisco, Bruce, Stephen, in that order. And we're yes, going to go, yeah. Don't kill me, but I don't have the book in a paper copy. I listen to it. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, well, I won't kill you, but I'm going to ask uh, encourage you to get a paper copy or a Kindle copy at least. Um, okay, so I guess be an active listener tonight and uh, see if you can't get a, like a Kindle or something uh, for next week. Cool? Hector, you there? I am. Okay. Um, all right, so it will go Kathy, Francisco, Bruce, and Stephen. Kathy, Francisco, Bruce, Stephen. And so we're going to read one, uh, one of the underlining assumptions, pause, discuss, move on, okay? So whenever you're ready, um, whenever you're ready, Kathy, take it away. Can you, can you tell me what page that is? It's chapter two. I'm not sure what page it is. Page 39, oh. Kathy. 39. Uh. 39. Yep, Jesse, do you want us to read from the start of the chapter or do you want us to read just the underlying assumptions? Just uh, the underlining assumptions. I think those start at page 41. Okay. That's what I think. Yeah, the, the bullet points, right? The bullet. Yep, the bullet points. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to read how much of them? How, how you're much read, do you want me to stop? Uh, just, we're gonna, everybody's going to read one at a time. So you can read the first one, we'll pause, we'll discuss, and then we'll read the second, okay? Oh, okay, all right. Each assumption listed here is expanded upon at length in various other places, but they are as follows. 
We have bodies that die, but we have immortal souls that existed prior to our incarnation and continue to exist after death. Therefore, death is an illusion. Perfect. Great. So, um, do we have any questions about that? It's definitely, of course, a miracle. Um, oh, this, yeah, this whole book is an extension of Course in Miracles. Yeah, it's not so much science of mind because science of mind will say that the body never lived, therefore it cannot die, but it assumes that we're spirits then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's talking about, you know, our true essence, which is eternal, because we are one with God. And God is eternal and infinite and ever-expanding. And so life does not begin with birth and it does not end with death. We are something greater than that. And so even if you don't fully understand or comprehend that, you don't have to. (laughs) How great is that? You just have to be willing to, uh, you just have to be willing to be willing to understand Shall we go on? Any thoughts? Okay, great. Francisco, read number two. While our bodies and our senses tell us we are separate individuals, we are all one. We are all individually vibrant as part of a single whole. So what this is... Sharing is, we talk about this a lot. You know, we're all one. We're one in God. Um, The ego has been described as one appearing as many. You know, the belief in separation. So the body is a symbol of separation. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to think about, you know, how we believe that that each of us have our own individual ego. But the body did not create the ego. The ego created the body. The body is a symbol of separation. And so this is the game. This is our whole experience here. You know, that that nudging that you felt that brought you to this call tonight, you know, all the experiences of your life that have led you to this moment, is uh, that nudging is your true essence, that remembrance of your unity with God. And so we, through this, um, to, to practice forgiveness, true forgiveness, you know, Collins have been called it radical forgiveness, but to practice and be able to allow this to fully do what it is designed to do, you have to be willing to understand that as well, that we are all one in God. And even though it appears that we're separate, that's only an illusion. Any thoughts? I like the the uh, second sentence about we all individually vibrate as part of a single whole. So, you know, it's so we all individually vibrate. We all have individuality, and it's it's purposeful that we vibrate individually because the whole wouldn't be the whole without all of the individual vibrations, whether there are vibrations or a brother or sister's vibrations. 
Yeah. We're all unique expressions. How fun. I mean, it's, it's not super effective to deny that we all have our own unique experiences. You know, or at least it really seems like it, and we're participating in it, so might as well speak to it as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's some people, I think especially like newer spiritual teachers when they're fresh on the path and they're really inspired by the teaching, they'll say things sometimes at, like if something happens, that's like, oh, it's all an illusion. Like if, it doesn't feel helpful because you're not working at the level of the collective, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but I'm glad you pointed that out, Bruce. Yeah, really, really lovely. Anyone else? Great, let's continue to read. Number three, Bruce. Okay. In order to exponentially expand our awareness of oneness, we agree to come to this world of duality in order to experience the exact opposite of oneness, separation. Mm -hmm. So this is where Colin has his own take on the human experience, what we're experiencing, the experience of separation. So he just suggested that we're here on purpose. Venerable teaches that as well, that we're adventurers here. We volunteered for this experience so that uh, if anyone ever read Conversations with God, it's sort of in alignment with the creation philosophy there as well, that this is God experiencing itself as separate from God. You know, Joe, it has that in the awareness. And so we're bringing back to the collective awareness this um, experience of separation, which isn't actually happening, but it's the experience of it that we've that we're participating in. Now, why would someone there? There tends to be two schools of thought. One is that we're we are sort of stuck in this hell of separation, and the ego is you know like it says, suspicious at best, vicious at worst. And there's also this idea that we chose to be here. So we're either stuck here or we chose to be here. What's the difference between the two? Well, if we chose to be here, then we're here experiencing contrast. Right? All, uh, if we're stuck here, then we're, we're victims. Right, mm -hmm. and if we're if we chose to be here, then we're experiencing contrast. Mm -hmm. And what's the feeling difference between the two? Sort of the energetic difference between the two. If I'm experiencing contrast, then I can have that that detachment and observe things as uh, temporary neutral events. Uh, because it's like, oh, there, there, there's that thing happening out there in the world. Wow, that's that's contrast, uh, as opposed to judgment and upset, which I would think would come with feeling stuck. I mean, stuck is just sort of a judgment in and of itself, and so, so that's going to create more experience of stuckness and an inability to change, an inability to move. An inability to have sort of the free world, free will that we need in the world, 
where is where experience in contrast and we have you know, choices. Are you talking about the difference between like duality and you know unity? Mm, not necessarily. I think that it's talking about you know the the way that you hold the experience that we're having that we're that we're sharing you know is are we stuck here or have we chosen to be here and it's just a way i think you know some some course teachers are adamant that we are stuck here you know that we are uh that this is a uh sort of you know in in essence the feeling is that it's like it's like hell and then the other uh, sort of branch is that we have chosen to be here, that we're adventurers having the experience, that decided to have this experience. But the the one, the secondary one, the second one you mentioned, the latter, that we decided to be here for the experience, I don't think that's a Course of Miracles view, is it? No, I'm saying that's Colin, that's where Colin Tipping's uh, in this, like he, we just read. You know, he has a specific perspective on the ego and the experience here. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious uh, to kind of get or to hear about, you know, the, the being stuck here and being stuck here, part of that involves separation suffering or slash suffering. Um, I don't, I'm not quite connecting how that, why, you know, why that would be, of course the experience would be enlightening, but why, you know, it, it kind of, it takes me to the Christian teaching of suffering, you know, that in order to to be spiritual or achieve a certain spiritual uh, consciousness, we have to suffer. So uh, this, this, and I love your word, uh, <laughs> through stuckness. <laughs> but uh, this being stuck, I think, it, for me, doesn't does not resonate. I think it 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 takes me to that place of I have to suffer in order to be enlightened. Uh, Versus agreeing to being here, uh, at least that's that's. But, but maybe I'm 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 missing the boat here. Well, I think suffering. You can agree to be here and have the experience of suffering because oftentimes the suffering takes you to the space of release, where into to the awareness that I'm creating the suffering through my thoughts, which then opens up the awareness of cause and effect, the law that governs the experience. And so, you know, suffering doesn't have to be, um, I kind of like what, uh, it sort of like lends to what Hector was saying a little bit about, you know, uh, wanting to avoid certain experiences. But if, you know, if upon awakening, we remember that we were adventurers here, then and, you know, on awakening, understand that it was all an illusion. It never actually happened. It was an experience of confusion. 
in which we were able to have a specific experience that uh, of separation, which actually never could occur because we are one with God, you know, then we see suffering in a different way. So, but suffering mm-hmm. in our perspective and our consciousness is something to be avoided, something we don't want. But like, you know, Hector said earlier, like it could also be something that really supports us in loving ourselves more, a deeper experience of loving ourselves. Yeah, I th- I think I think that at the end, whether we chose to be here or we're stuck here is irrelevant because it's all part of an illusion, an illusion that was mm. created by choice or as a projection of guilt. Um, mm-hmm. And we may have made the choice to be here and in the process we have become stuck in the dream. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I, I think the idea is, and somebody asked this to Venerable uh, when she was there, and I thought it was a beautiful question, which is like, why did we chose? Why did we choose to come here to experience suffering when we could have chosen to come here and just be in a place of love? Uh, but you know, in the course it says that we learn uh, through contrast. And if we believe that the only reality that there is is perfect love, then the only way to experience that uh, is coming here and experiencing the opposite because of the contrast, the separation. Well, and if we're talking about Course in Miracles and how we learn, it always says we can learn with pain and or suffering would be the same thing, or joy. It is always our choice to learn with, you know, one or the other, depending upon which teacher you choose. Right. And, Kathy, when you say on which teacher you choose, just for the class, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, it can be said a whole variety of different ways. So, you know, you're either choosing the teacher of love or fear. You're choosing the teacher of Holy Spirit or ego. You're choosing the right mind or the wrong mind. You're choosing, Mm -hmm. you know, ultimate reality, truth, or perception. And um, I'm trying to think of a few more examples, but those are the ones that just came to the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Separation of oneness. Yeah, separation oneness would be a great one. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole variety of different ways to say it, so it's whatever resonates with you. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Light, you could say light or darkness. You're choosing the light and you're choosing the darkness. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Perfect. Well, for the sake of continuing the conversation, let's, uh, let's move on to the next uh, underlining assumption. So, Stephen, why don't you read number four? Part of the agreement was that we would forget the world of oneness we came from in order to fully experience the pain of separation. When we've experienced the amount of pain we agreed to have in this lifetime, we use radical forgiveness to awaken and remember who we are. Beautiful. So I think that was 
<laughs> the exact conversation we just had. Could you actually yeah. do that one one more time, Stephen? Part of I mean, the agreement yeah. was part of the agreement was that we would forget the world of oneness we came from in order to fully experience the pain of separation. When we have experienced the amount of pain we agreed to have in this lifetime, we use radical forgiveness to awaken and remember who we are. I, I find it interesting that the, the word choice of what we agree to, right? When we have experienced the amount of pain we agree to have. So I don't know if that sort of points to the idea of script. Like that's in our script. We wrote in that we would experience X amount <laughs> or Y amount or Z amount. Yeah, something to think about. I think that's exactly what it's referring to. And I think that um, uh, these are all things that we can really, you know, really contemplate. Love it. All right, well, let's read uh, number five. So going back to Kathy. Since the pain of separation is an emotional experience, we need a body to be able to feel it. Okay. Any questions about that? Just a, you know, a, a, a quick comment. I was um, uh, at a volunteer thing at a prison this last weekend, and that's what sort of the whole weekend was about for the the prisoners, for the inmates, which was to to understand that the feelings were were bodily were, were reactions to whatever was going on in the mind, and creating a space in between those two things, so that and it's called the Freedom to Choose Foundation, so that there's like a freedom to choose what to do after experiencing that. Um, so anyway, just relates to something I saw in a lot of people who just get triggered and then don't um, understand the emotional reactions. Beautiful. I I like that this is all sort of lending itself to the idea of, you know, taking already taking us, pulling us out of victim consciousness. Does anyone else feel that? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. Um, Francisco. The human experience is meant to be an emotional one. So to the extent to which we deny our feelings is to the extent to which we deny our purpose for being here. Oh, isn't that great? How beautiful is that? So we're talking about acceptance. Acceptance. Again, practicing non-judgment. Observing. Allowing uh, allowing the experiences to come forth. So, I mean, I, I think we're really touching on something very profound, guys, that, you know, in this, like, and again, this is an assumption. So we're having a conversation. In this conversation... The author is suggesting that we have agreed, like Kathy pointed out, agreed to a certain amount of suffering. 
Okay? So if we agree to everything that we're experiencing here, then why would we deny ourselves the experience of whatever it is that is arising? So this goes back to Hector's conversation about how he realized he didn't want to suffer. You know, there or I forget exactly how you said that, Hector, but, you know, he had a... Uh, um, with the, it was in the election conversation about how, you know, he wanted to avoid, you know, suffering yeah. or the, the ugliness, you know. And so, mm-hmm. but if we've all agreed to a certain amount of suffering that's going to support us in awakening to our oneness, then doesn't it behoove us to allow ourselves to be present and allow whatever is coming to the surface to come to the surface at any moment without judgment so we can have whatever experience needs to unfold so we can do what we're here to do, which is to awaken to our oneness. Kind of a beautiful idea. Yeah, and I was I, I was actually reading this morning about this idea of how actually biologically we are designed to uh, experience suffering and stress as as the body's preferred vehicle for growth. And huh. and it was it was talking about how you know when when the egg and the sperm they create uh, you know what I mean. Uh, what the book was saying is that in the next seventy two hours in that cell that is so tiny, there is so much struggle and there is so much stress. But un- unless that stress happens, it would never become a baby. Uh, and it talks about this idea that biologically we are genetically created to experience suffering because when we experience suffering, that's an indication that we have to grow to something else. And that's, mm. that's the basis of evolution. Wow. What book is that? It's called The the subtle art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> who, who who wrote it? Uh, it's a Buddhist uh, teacher, uh, but it's really good. I recommend it. It's, it's a wonderful book. Yeah, that's great. Very interesting. What a what a what an empowered way to look at suffering. Again, we're completely. Uh, eliminating the victim consciousness out of the equation. Can you say that again, Hector? When we experience suffering, it is a calling. It is calling us to shift and change. What did you say? You said something along those lines. I'm not saying it verbatim. Yeah, it basically says that when we're experiencing suffering or stress, that's our higher self calling us to grow. It's our higher self calling us to heal. And and we can only do that when we're in the experience of suffering. I like that. Thank you. Mm. I think the problem is that there is a flaw in the plan, or maybe not, but we created bodies that have emotions and feelings. If our bodies didn't have emotions and feelings, then we can go through suffering and being neutral to that. But the truth of the matter is when something happens to me, I feel it. I feel it, right? 
So, and I, I, I'm not sure if there's a flaw in the plan or or if it has a purpose. Hmm. How else would you experience, have the experience that you... I know. I to know, have? yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. So, seems to be, I mean, to me, it seems to be by design, right? This is like the way, you know, to experience the contrast and the feelings and all the things we agreed to when we got enrolled in this particular course or enrolled in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, we, we had this conversation at our, in our Course Miracle study group a couple weeks ago about disease and disease, you know, being an extension of the belief that we are a body and that the misperception that the body is creative. And so, uh, you know, so many people will be like, no, it's a result of, you know, uh, you're feeling it because of your thing with money or you're experiencing this because of whatever, whatever. But the Course just said, you know, the disease uh, disease is a um, result of a belief that we are the body. So is physical pain also a result of that belief as well? And emotional pain, is, is emotional pain a result of that belief as well? And even if we've agreed to, to forget that we agreed to be the body, you know, is it all an extension of that belief of separation on the belief of our of this physical incarnation? All good things to contemplate. And let's move on. So, um, Francisco, did you read the last one? Or did heck? <coughs> I just read the last one. Okay, beautiful. Uh, Bruce? Spiritual beings having a spiritual experience in human bodies. Okay. Anyone disagree with that? Beautiful. Perfect. We're we're all on track. Uh, go ahead, Stephen. Vibrationally, we live in two worlds simultaneously. One, the world of divine truth, spirit. To the world of humanity. Once we awaken, we can live comfortably in both. Could you reread that one, please? Vibrationally, we live in two worlds simultaneously. One, the world of divine truth, which is spirit, and two, the world of humanity. Once we awaken, we can live comfortably in both. Okay. Who'd like to... Any thoughts on that? Comments? I have thoughts. Um, like, you know, if, if Colin Tipping is like a true Course in Miracles teacher, that seems like a contradiction because once we really awaken, poof, we wouldn't be here in a body. We'd recognize the illusion and be back in the spirit world, supposedly. And the Course talks about somewhere I think around chapter 8 about our inability 
to vacillate back and forth comfortably, that that we'll never get any traction in this world or peace if we are alternating between the teacher of love, the teacher of fear, the teacher of love, the teacher of fear. Um, I don't know. That's my thought on it. Well, but even, you know, contemplate the resurrection story, you know. I think Jesus was fully awakened and present and and still in a physical form until he chose not to be, until it didn't serve him, you know, anymore. Um, And, you know, there's many teachings outside of A Course in Miracles, you know, like talk, uh, like um, Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings about Babaji and how he would manifest in this realm when it would serve a higher purpose and teach in physical form. And we've heard, you know, stories of angels and ascended masters that appear to people and guide people. And um, so I feel as though, you know, it comes down to a conversation of attachment. And also, you know, I believe there's been, I feel, enlightened beings that have chosen to stay in physical form, hasn't necessarily released the... Um, experience of a physical body, but was fully aware of what was unfolding, you know. Um, And, yeah, and again, this is, uh, you know, something to keep in mind with radical forgiveness is it's based off of Course in Miracles, but it definitely has the author's own um, perspective in it. And, And as a Course student, you'll be able to see quite clearly where he, uh, like, you know, like for, for me, there's a section that he writes on the ego that we don't, we actually kind of skip over because I'd prefer to just have the, the teaching of the ego come from A Course in Miracles. And he has his own, his own way that he works with it. But after reading it over so many times, I was like, eh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily drawn to his experience of it. And so uh, we don't even spend time on it. But that doesn't take away from the, um, the uh, I think the the quality and of this process of his of his radical forgiveness process because there's so much many things that I'm completely aligned with that I feel like it's really good teaching. But there's just that. So you know, like with anything, something, and again with anything, if it's good for you, take it. If it's not, you can just leave it. Leave it on the ground. Leave it in the past. Um, for uh, me, when it talks about the world of the divine or the spirit and the world of humanity, it's, it's like an intersection. Um, and that's what the Christian cross is based off of. Um, for sacred geometry, it is where the physical plane intersects the spiritual plane. And that axis point is, I, I'm thinking of what this is. this passage is kind of talking about, is being able to be in both realms simultaneously. Well, if we talk to, I mean, just going back to our conversation, if we're truly, if we've never left God, you know, if this is truly an illusion, then uh, even though we're having a conscious experience of ourselves in the body, then I understand what he's saying, how we can, you know, We've we've never left the spiritual realm. We're just having an experience, you know. Uh, 
even if it's an illusion, we're having an experience of having left. And the more that we do this work, the more that the more blocks that we release to the presence, uh, to the eternal presence of love, the more comfortable we become in the experience in our body, the more peace we feel, the more um, present we're able to be. So I understand what he's saying in that capacity. And thank you for sharing, Francisco and Kathy. Anyone else? Okay. So, Stephen, you just read that. Uh, Kathy, you're next. Okay. Um... The world of humanity is a spiritual classroom and life is a curriculum. Our lessons are the events that happen in life. The objective is to awaken to the truth of who we are and return home. Could you read that one uh, one more time, please? Sure. The world of humanity is a spiritual classroom and life is the curriculum. Our lessons are the events that happen in life. The objective is to awaken to the truth of who we are and return home. So I guess what it means, like, what does he mean by return home? Just return to a peaceful heart while we're here on this earth? And like Francisco said, the, you know, the intersection of the earthly plane, uh, horizontal with the vertical of the divine. Or does he really mean, like, literally we'll wake up from, hey, we're not a body, we're spirits, and we're one in the sleepy cosmos with God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. What do you feel? What what is it? What is it? How does it resonate for you? Well, I think as far as I'm here and I find myself in the body, then um, it's to me, it's returning home to means the peace. Like you can find the peace regardless of what's going on. That you aren't going to judge your brother. You're going to um, remember. I could see peace instead of this. You know. Hmm. Sounds good to me. Anyone else? Would anyone like to share a comment? I think there's just also the, the extension of this is like graduating from one course to another, or mm. you know that that you know to me we're enrolled in different courses at different times or different experiences or. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a five course semester, and <laughs> you know, different things are coming up to you know at different times for different purposes. Uh, but that we mm-hmm. stay in the same class until we've awakened to the truth of whatever that lesson is, and then we get to move on to other ones. Mm. There's this great story in Radical Forgiveness by, um, not Radical Forgiveness, I'm sorry, Disappearance of the Universe by Gary Renard. And he talks about, and, I, and it's been a while since I've read it, uh, but there was an experience in which he, I don't know, he, he got to choose between like two movies and he went to this one movie and it started a little later, and he really didn't like it. And uh, but he was like listening to like who's, he was 
starting to like teach himself how to listen to his intuition. And he didn't like the movie. And so he was asking his teachers, like, why did, why did I choose that movie? Like, why did my intuition tell me to go to this movie? And I just did not enjoy it. And they said, because had you have gone to the other movie, you would have come home early and you would have gotten in a car accident. And that's a forgiveness, uh, forgiveness experience you don't need to have. And so it's sort of interesting um, as far as like realm of curriculum, as in he didn't need to have, he, he had done enough forgiveness work to where he didn't have to have the experience of forgiving this car accident, you know? And so in a sense, if you wanted to use the school analogy, he graduated to a new grade to where, and so his, his intuition, when he listened to his intuition, took him to a certain place so he could, he could be at a movie. Maybe he didn't love the movie, but he didn't have to ha- go through a specific experience that he no longer needed to have to be at the place of awakening that he needed to be. Any other thoughts? Okay, so what uh, what number are we at? We are on the end of the last of page forty-two. What assumption are we on? When we decide to re- to incarnate into the world. Yeah. What what uh, what number what number was that? Do you know? Is it just a bullet point? They're just bullet points. We're not good with numbers. Got it. All right, got it, good. It's actually number 10. (laughs) Perfect. All right, so listen, everyone, uh, please read the rest of this chapter in addition to the uh, other reading homework. It's a very easy read. Uh, Please take some notes, and we will review this in our next class, which will be next week. And uh, and we'll go over the um, pardon me I'm trying to pull it up but it's taking a second my computer and we'll go over the uh, your written homework assignment so uh, are there any announcements or prayer requests before we conclude tonight's um, uh, class or any comments that you'd like to share. Okay, great. Well, let's just uh, take a moment to center in. Uh, If you'd like, you can join me by placing a hand on your heart. It helps me align with my loving intention. And we begin and end in gratitude. Grateful for the opportunity to have these conversations, to learn more, to peel off the layers, to uh, expand our awareness. We offer up anything that might prevent us from being fully present in as love. Oh, how good. I just surround Kathy with love and light, being our sister that's out of state, recognizing that where she is, we are. Where she is, love is. Sending this love to her family, her sons, her husband, her father-in-law, Surrounding her whole entire house, just with light. 
unifying us all in this collective field of heart-centered energy. We just remember that where we are, God is. Where Kathy is, beauty lives. Where Bruce is, peace lives. Where Hector is, genius lives. Where Stephen is, abundance lives. Where Francisco is, healing lives. We are all part of God. And God is expansive, all-powerful, all-knowing in all places. Perfect love, perfect light. So we contemplate this light. We allow this light to penetrate and permeate through us, soaking and saturating every aspect of who we know ourselves to be, who we truly are, and what we are growing into. Oh, God is so good. We're so thankful. We're so grateful. And we dedicate the healing of tonight to Magali as she continues to have a new adventure a new experience in Oregon. We just send her love and light and are grateful to know that where she is, God is. And so it is. Amen. 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 All right, everyone. Well, I love you all so much. Thank you for joining the call. Uh, if you're in LA, I, I would love to see you at uh, Ask the Elders, which is this Sunday. It's uh, in place of our service. It's a beautiful Q&A panel discussion with LGBTQ elders in the community. We get to ask them any question about life. And following that is our um, holiday party. Uh, it's a potluck, and we're doing a white elephant gift exchange, and we're also collecting canned goods, non-perishable goods for Triangle Square. So if you can, load them on up and come on down this Sunday. I'd love to uh, share the experience with you. And uh, it was a beautiful experience tonight. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you all, and I love you. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.